All right, I'm going to go ahead and get us started. Heavenly Father, thank you for the church. Thank you for uh, your spirit, who is the, the glue that bonds every member of your church together. Thank you for uh, the way in which we need each other, and that your spirit uh, works in such a way that we cannot live independently of the body of Christ. I pray, Father, that as there really is a lot of division when it comes to the work of the spirit, I pray that you might help us to understand your word well, um, and that, Lord, we would uh, submit our hearts to your word and that we would um, we would strive to build one another up in the body of Christ in Jesus name amen <clears throat> so this is really the second uh, lesson on the gifts of the spirit and last I can't really go back and I, mean, I could but we'd never get done uh, go back and rehash all that, so I encourage uh, y'all, if you haven't heard last week's uh, message, to do that. We're actually in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8, and Paul is making a point, and his point is, though there are varied gifts, there is one Spirit. So that's his point. Um, he's not, and we are going to take a little bit of time to, to you know, look at each of these gifts and try to understand them, but uh, he's not really explaining any of the gifts. So he doesn't give like a full explanation. This is what this is, and this is how it looks. And, you know, we might wish he would do that, but he doesn't. So uh, let's go ahead uh, Grab a microphone there, Nathan, and bring it down here to Emmett LaBelle. He can read for us the section here. Um, let's just read 4 through 11. Right, Emmett's right here on the end. 4 through 11. Thank you, Emmett. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same is spirit. And there are varieties of service but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit of the common good. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another by faith the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the, abil the ability to distinguish between gifts. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretations of tongues. All these are empowered by the one, the same spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. <clears throat> okay. Uh, obviously, you can see there repeatedly over and over again, uh, variety of gifts, one spirit. Variety of gifts, one spirit. That's the main point. Um, but let's just kind of briefly uh, walk through each of these gifts. And I just want to just kind of hear what you have to say first and, and uh, about each of these gifts. So in verse 8, the utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge. Uh, what comes to your mind when you hear those, uh, uh, that the expression of those gifts, the utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge? Okay, so wisdom, uh, 
you've, you've gained this over years and years of, of experience and also applying the word of God to that experience. And so you have the utterance of wisdom. Do we usually think of the utterance of wisdom as a gift? I don't usually think of it, you know, that way. I mean, I, in, not when I, yeah, well, a lot of these we're going to, we will talk about like, Uh, well, let's give her the microphone. You have it still, Emmett? No, he, okay, pass that on. There you go. I was going to say, in reference to the church, I think of wise people as being the elders who know the word of God and how to apply it more so than, I don't think everybody has wisdom. <laughs> right, but we're all supposed to be growing in wisdom, and we're called to ask for wisdom, and so uh, it does seem like there's something distinct about this utterance of wisdom, that somebody is able to take the truth and make it practical to life situations. That's kind of what I would look at, utterance of wisdom. Okay, so that, that's good, Nathan. Um, so like, like the elders who are there called to make wise decisions, but it's interesting that he's calling this a spiritual gift rather than just the mature among you. Like in another case, if you're, this is the qualities that you would want to see in someone who would become an elder, but, but here he is actually talking about it like it's a spiritual gift. It's interesting. What, what's that, Howard? It's not a given, yeah. 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 And well, and also it's it's not just wisdom. Someone could have wisdom, but they might not have the gift of the utterance of wisdom. Because that's what this gift is, that you're able to articulate that wisdom in a way. All right, go ahead. A question about that. Is this because you're talking about prophesying and all of those other things at this particular period of time? Are huh? some of these issues more specific in relationship to that, a special gift of that period in that first century? I, I don't, I, that's, these are questions I don't have complete answers to. Um, so I'm just, we go through the gifts, right, and, and we will focus on the gifts of prophecy and tongues, especially in chapter 14. But, but I just, you know, here's a gift that you're just like, the utterance of wisdom? Like, what is that? I don't even know how to define that. To me, it almost sounds like a preacher. And then he could have just said that you're the gift of preaching. The message of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the utterance of knowledge, I think that's interesting too. You know, knowledge and wisdom kind of go hand in hand. Maybe one's a little more practical application and the other's maybe a little more systematic truth. Um, doctrinal truth that you're giving, but but again, um, you know, here he is. He's explaining these. Nobody in Corinth was like questioning what's going on, but we're just like, I don't know what that looks like. You know, we're guessing at this point. So, any other comments on that? For I just want to move. On. I don't want to go too far in these, but go ahead, Michael. <clears throat> Isn't there a passage that talks about the two distinctions? There's a gift of teaching and then a gift of speaking and a gift of acting or serving mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. obviously be like the teaching preaching prophesying in that category yeah it's to me it does it this it, you would say think that a person that has the gift of utterance of wisdom and utterance of knowledge is probably going to be a teacher or preacher you would guess i i don't know but um you know so this right off the bat in his list and this is not the only uh, list in Scripture. It's not a complete list. We can go through a couple other lists in a little bit maybe. But I just think there's a lot of uh, humility that we should have here. Like, I don't know exactly what this is talking about. The next one, in verse 9, the gift of faith. Okay? Now, it was asked to me by someone, how is the this gift of faith 
how is that different, or is it different, than just the, the, uh, the, the salvation? Right? Because we all are given a gift of faith to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's your salvation. But here, it's, this particular gift of faith is only given to some, so it really can't be the gift of faith, because if it was, then everybody would have it, right? So here he's saying to some or to another, there's given faith. So how would you try to explain this? What's he talking about here? What is this gift of faith? So difficult circumstances, the impossible situation that you continue to trust. Danny? Could it be like... You're on. Could it be like the, uh, the gift of, of having a real strong assurance? Because some Christians have like a real settled assurance, which, you know, they have big faith that tells them to trust them. So assurance of salvation, that you, you're able to trust that. Um, I, again, I would argue a little bit away from that because um, I think Scripture presents that God wants all of his children to have an assurance of salvation. And this is, the Bible seems to be okay with some people having this, assure, this faith and others not having this gift of faith. And so that does, to me, it goes back to more of the difficult circumstances. Sometimes someone might look at this as optimism. Like you get in a difficult situation, and I remember Tara, when Robin um, first found out she had cancer, and we're telling our kids and expecting, you know, this is going to be a you know, really hard thing, and Tara's like, it's going to be an adventure, you know? And, <laughs> and so... Uh, I mean, you know, we might, we might look at Tara and say that's naivety, right? We might look at that and say that it's um, great faith. Um, but here, how many of us look at this and say, wow, God may have given Tara a gift of faith in that moment? Okay, so the difficult circumstance of that God can work a miracle. Isn't it? Some people just seem to just like, yes, we can trust God for this, no matter how difficult the situation. Yes, Michael? Exactly. So like the missionaries, you know, I, I, who was the, should know this, but who was the missionary that said, hey, I'm not even going to tell people that I have a need. I'm just going to start praying and people will start giving to me. Do you remember who that was? Mueller. Mueller yeah, it might have been a couple. It might have been, I was thinking maybe Hudson Taylor or someone, but maybe Mueller too. All right, Tanya in the back. Yeah, like the visionaries, right? And that's what the missionary would fit into that. But somebody who says, like, I may be a church planner. Hey, you know, let's, uh, <laughs> I might have a little bit of this, I don't know. But like, hey, the Muslim world closed to the gospel? Let's take the gospel to the Muslims, right? And another person might be like, hmm. But how often do we then attribute the gift to the person and then feel guilty because we don't have as much faith as that other person? Isn't it a kind of a refreshment to think, oh, maybe God gives certain people an extra amount of grace so that they can trust him for impossible situations, so that the church can move forward. And he doesn't have to give that to everybody. Mm hmm. Yeah. 
And, and you can, that's good. She just talked about Corey Ten Boom and her sister. And, and Corey benefited from her sister's faith. It didn't, it wasn't, but how often do we just think that every Christian should be the same? Everyone should have exactly the same amount of faith. And we, and we get, we feel guilty because we're not as strong in our faith as someone else. Or we're proud because our faith is, what's their problem? I'm going to, I'm going to, um, just very briefly kind of allude to David. Uh, he's at a weak point in Psalm 6. Where we're going to find him in the sermon today. But I'm going to make a, a contrast to the David of this psalm and the David who fought against Goliath. And when David fought against Goliath, he actually looked at the rest of the people and he looked down on them and said, what's their problem? Why aren't you all doing this? You know, it's very different in his attitude in Psalm 6. But, but I think that sometimes if we have this gift of faith, if we don't recognize it as a gift, we can begin to act pridefully. So again, remember, all this is supposed to be the one spirit. It's supposed to be unite the church, and yet we can take the gift and use it to divide the church. Right? Yeah. Yeah, if you if you um, if you read the confession in its chapter on faith, it will talk about that faith is believing everything of the Bible, the promises, the commands, you know, everything about the Bible. It's just taking God at His word, and and I think that some of us have an easier time to do that, applying it to our world than to others. And that could be just a God, the measure of God's gift that he's given you. Salvation, trusting in God for salvation, every Christian has to have that. I mean, and we would acknowledge that's a gift too. And we would also acknowledge that that faith is, can be in, strengthened and weakened, right? I mean, it, there can be a measure of that faith as well. But here Paul just seems to be looking at it in terms of, of uh, benefiting the church, how can you move the church forward? If everybody was a pessimist, you know, and put it in those crass terms, instead of an optimist, the church wouldn't move forward. If everybody was an optimist and no pessimist, we would, we would have all these visions and nothing good happening. So I think that God gives to some people this gift of having vision, believing big, big things of God, um, and that's okay. And it's okay if everyone doesn't have that gift. Maybe we shouldn't feel bad if we don't have the gift of faith at that moment. It's, it's meant to encourage one another. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yep. And, and we should benefit from that other person that's positive and not just beat ourselves up because of it. Yes. So. <clears throat> Clear as mud. Keep moving on. I... I <laughs> now, I would say that these first two gifts... Um, are you we made the distinction or someone mentioned miraculous um i'm gonna make the the statement sign gifts if 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 the gift is a gift of the spirit it's miraculous <laughs> every gift is miraculous but there are certain gifts that are sign gifts okay we'll kind of explain um, this by saying these are gifts that accompanied the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost. So as such, they were sign gifts. They're also connected to the book of Joel because Joel is very much seen as fulfilled at Pentecost. So that's, um, they are gifts that were present in Jesus' earthly ministry and certainly in the age of the apostles. Now, the big question, and, and we'll explore this in depth, is whether or not these sign gifts continue today. That's the question. Uh, right off the bat, 
I am Presbyterian. I hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Whether or not you've read the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith explicitly teaches that we do not believe that the sign gifts continue today. I'm just laying my cards out on the table. There they are. <laughs> so uh, you don't, you're not required as a member of the church to accept what we believe, but it, I am required as a teacher of the church to explain <laughs> The, the, uh, uh, the cessation of gifts that we're talking about. Huh? Which ones? Well, I think we're going to go through the list right here. Right, because I don't think that those uh, gifts were things that were clearly presented at Pentecost. I don't think that they were clearly um, um, like the expectation of them in the book of Joel. Whereas these next ones, I think, very much are. Very much were expected to the ones that Jesus did as sign gifts as well. Jesus says things like, um, if you don't believe me, believe the gifts that I do. Believe the works that I do. There's, there's works that are connected to his ministry that were intended to declare to the world who he was. So, go ahead, Lori. Correct. These are all gifts of the Spirit. The question is whether or not these sign gifts continue. The first of those is healing. Okay? The gift of healing. Um, this gift was of such that if you touch the hem of Peter's garment you could be healed. Okay? Um, it, is, it is not a... I guess you, you, you don't want to push it so far that it was completely universal. Even Jesus, who clearly had the gift of healing, um, there were certain towns that he didn't do healing in because of their lack of faith. I mean, so there's... You know, you have to... You have to be a little bit cautious here to say anytime, all the time. Uh, Paul, who, who I think had the gift of healing, uh, as time goes on, isn't able to even heal himself. You know, so the, you have to be cautious in this. But in general, the gift of healing is not someone who just uh, prays and someone gets healed. Uh, there's no doubt that that healing occurs today. God is sovereign over healing. He, in the book of James... We're even commanded, if you're sick for any length of time, you can go to the elders and have them anoint you with oil and have them pray over you. So, like, the idea that God answers prayer and heals people, obviously, is something that God continues to do even to this day. That's not the question. The question is, is the gift of healing put upon a person such that, that to come into contact with them, you know, Peter says, I can't, I don't have money or gold, but rise up and walk like that kind of uh miraculous healing it's my contention in my 54 years that i have never met someone like this i have heard stories of someone praying and someone getting healed i have never met someone who the gift of healing has descended upon and who is obvious throughout their life that they have the gift of healing I would love to hear it if someone has that example. I mean, I'm, this is not a silly question. And if, the, if you know of it, tell me, because I'd like to go meet them. I'd like to bring my daughter to them. I'd like to bring my brother to them. Uh, my brother's a quadriplegic. He's been in a wheelchair for 40 years. I would love to meet that person. So, so And to this day, I've never met anyone lead me to someone like that. So if you have someone, let me know, because I would like to check it out. Anybody willing to put that up? In fact, if you listen to stories of Corey Ten Boom, I'm not Corey Ten Boom, Johnny Erickson Tata, she actually went to healing ministries. And, and they're bringing people up on the stage and healing them. I'm not saying every healing ministry is a fraud, but... But she's sitting down on the side with some other people in wheelchairs, and she's saying, hey, what about us? 
give us a tough case. You know, Jesus healed the person who was born blind, who had been lame for 38 years. This gift of healing is not just, oh, I had a kink in my back and now I'm good. It, it is this gift of healing. I do not see it occurring. Okay. Um, the next one is the working of miracles. Now, remember, we just even said that there's a faith and that the gift of faith might be a confidence that God can do miracles. But that's different than the gift of miracles. The gift... Yeah. Yes, go ahead. I think if you go to... Uh huh. I think that I think that that um, uh, I would I would argue that the way that Paul uses the gift of healing here is not primarily just peacemaking. Um, could you extrapolate that and and say that that's a form of healing? I know that in the book of James, when he tells people to go to their elders. And have them pray over them, and they will be healed. I take that as more than physical healing. Um, so I think you might have some grounds to kind of see that or apply that in that situation. But I think in this context, um, healing, the working of miracles, it's, it doesn't lend to more of a peacemaking or just general feeling better. You might say counseling is a healing ministry, you know. Um, this is much more of a, a uh, miraculous healing, like Peter had, like the apostles had, in my opinion. So, correct. And I don't have any problem that the gospel and God heals people's lives. And that, that the whole of our uh, ministry is to be a life-giving, healing ministry. But this is something that is given to a specific person who ha themselves has this gift of being able to heal. And it, it's clearly in Jesus' ministry and in the ministry of his apostles, his disciples, they were like, man, you know, demons obey us, you know, we... The, uh, we heal diseases. They were even raising the dead. I mean, they're doing such miraculous things. That is what I think Paul's, the, the Corinthian church is experiencing. Not just what we would call kind of a, the ongoing working of God to heal people's lives. I think that that obviously continues to exist. There's no doubt in my mind that that continues to exist. So um, anyway, let's keep going. So the working of miracles. Um, I don't I don't see other than in the gospels any recorded instance of anyone in the New Testament working a miracle I'm not saying it didn't happen I'm just saying that I don't have a recorded instance of this happening in Scripture. Mm -hmm. They cast out demons. I don't know if you call that a miracle or not. Um, I, I don't know. Because, right, the apostles don't even do all of the miracles that Christ did. But Paul actually says the, the, there's someone that has the gift of miracles. Um, so we trust that, that somebody had to have the gift of miracles. They were doing something or else he wouldn't have uh, described it. Um, again, whether or not they had, you know, 
I don't even see it in the New Testament per se, but I certainly don't see it in the church now. And I would argue, tell me, I'd love to see someone that just does this. Like, let's take, you know, five loaves of bread and turn it into enough to feed 5,000. Uh, you know, walking on water, parting the Red Sea. <laughs> you know, this miracles that were happening, okay? Um, so, maybe. Uh, yes, Joe. Absolutely. Um, I didn't go through this yet. I have it a little bit later in my notes. But in Romans 12, you get a list of gifts. Ephesians 4, you get a list of gifts. Um, later on at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, 28, you get another list of gifts. And there's, it doesn't, I, I, get, I become very uncomfortable with people that can absolutely uh, pigeonhole these gifts. I just don't see, that's not Paul's point. He's not, he's not trying to categorize it. He's not trying to distinguish it out. This is my gift and this. I, I do see a lot of overlap. Um, and I know that certain people would have more than one gift. You know, and some people, um, it seems to be that everyone has at least some gift. Um, but I don't think any of the lists are complete. And I certainly think they all overlap. So, yes, Lori. I have a question. The story of the missionaries, I forget where they were, and some tribe was going to come kill them, and then later on the tribe was saved, and they asked them why, and they said they saw men surrounding mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. I mean, that kind of sounds like a miracle. I, I don't have any doubt that it was a miracle. But that's different than having the gift okay. to be able to do miracles. So you're not saying God doesn't do that on occasion today? Oh, I believe in miracles. I believe God does miraculous things. No question. We should pray for miracles. Um, you know, you have inoperable cancer. You pray. Someone goes into the doctor next week, and they're like, whoa, it's gone. You know, it can happen, Right? And you're called to pray for those things. And maybe someone with the gift of faith actually has more, more confidence that he can do that. And someone else is like, oh, listen, I'm preparing for death. And he says, no, 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 let's pray. You know, and they have more confidence. But, but it's, when we look at these sign gifts of healing, working of miracles, I don't see that gift resting on a person. That's the difference. Um, see, because it's, it's to a person is given this gift. Not to everyone, but to a person they have this gift. So again, we go on. The next one is prophecy. A lot can be said about prophecy. Um, one aspect of prophecy that the prophets all did, like if you read Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know, they're taking the, the covenant law of God and they're trying to apply it to the situation of the people in which they're in today. Well, that's preaching. That's what you do every day when you're trying to preach, okay? But what I think when he's talking about prophecy here, it is a, it is a divine word, like God gives a, a, a revealing of information that was not, it wasn't just deduced by the situation. God actually gives revelation to a person. Uh, Paul, uh, I think it was Agabus that was uh, given revelation that Paul would be arrested in Jerusalem. It was, you know, before it happened, some people took that, I don't know if it was Agabus, one of the prophets, I'm not sure if that's right in Acts, but um, one of the prophets, uh, one of the, some of the people in the church said, Paul, that means you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. Paul says, well, the fact that Jesus tells me everywhere I'm going, I'm supposed to get persecution. What makes Jerusalem any different? I need to go to Jerusalem. He wasn't denying the prophecy. He was just saying it doesn't mean that I shouldn't go. <laughs> and so he goes, and then he gets arrested, and he's taken. You know, so, um, but it was a, it's the prophecy that something in advance is going to happen, uh, and you can give that to the church to help them. Okay? Uh, 
And we'll, we're going to talk a lot about prophecy, uh, especially in chapter 14, but it is, it is revelation. It is God speaking through a person. That's what prophecy is. Again, as a cessationist, I do not believe that God gives the gift of prophecy today. You just need to know that. That's, we don't believe that. Prophecy didn't always uh, end up in written scripture. But I think it had the potential to. In other words, not everything that was said, even by Jesus, who was a prophet, got put down in scripture. Right? But it could have. Because it was the word of God. Okay, so if you believe in the gift of prophecy, then you must at least have an openness to the fact that the Bible is not complete. Because if God is still revealing direct knowledge today, then we have to be open to the fact that he could give us another chapter to Scripture. We'll talk more about that when we get more into prophecy, but this is really important. This idea that God is speaking to me in some non-authoritative way is not the way the Bible uses prophecy. Anywhere. Just not the way it's done. For you to say, oh yeah, that's your opinion. I'll go do what I want. No, if God is speaking through a prophet, it is disobedience to God to disobey the prophet. And in the situation where Paul still goes to Jerusalem, he's, he's acknowledging that the prophet's true, but the prophet never told him, God told me to tell you don't go to Jerusalem. He just said, God told me when you do go to Jerusalem, you're going to get arrested. And he says, okay, I'm okay with that. So, so if it's prophecy, it is to be obeyed. Right? It's God's word, it's truth. The next one is the ability to distinguish between spirits, sometimes called the discernment. Um, and, well, I'll throw that out to you guys. What do you guys think about the ability to discern or distinguish between spirits? What comes to your mind? power of the Holy Spirit, um, the church needed to know whether this was demonic or really from the Lord. Mm -hmm. So, so you would, if you had the gift of prophecy, and I think this is why they're so much connected to one another, a prophet could travel between churches, going from one church to another church, giving their prophecy, Okay. And if the prophet comes into your church, there were also false prophets coming into churches. And so it seems to be that God actually gives uh, to his people someone who's able on the front end to distinguish between a true prophet and a false prophet. Uh, and you would think um, we all can somewhat distinguish that because if a prophet says something's going to happen and it doesn't come to happen, then, then they're a false prophet. But sometimes a prophet could actually do something miraculous, a false prophet. Something could come true miraculously, and yet they could lead you away from the, the truth of God. And if that's the case, uh, in Deuteronomy, uh, God warns his people. Sometimes he'll send a false prophet to test his people. Are they going to walk away from the truth because some prophet comes in and tells them not to? So this, again, I don't understand all this because I don't, I don't function in a world where I am seeing prophets come into our midst on a regular basis. So I don't see this. But in that time, God gives a gift of discernment to help his church work through the difference between a false prophet and a true prophet. Yes, Mike. Oh, yeah. When we get to the tongues and interpretation, that's going to be really interesting I find it, and I'll just, this is because you asked it. If tongues was just a prayer tongue that you could just be blessed by just doing it, there would be no reason to give a gift of the interpretation of tongues. Because, but because God wants the, uh, 
the person who speaks in a tongue, which is a revelation from God, they need to be able to have someone supernaturally interpret that tongues because you don't want the word of God to come down on and just, oh, this is kind of what it says kind of feeling. It has to be an exact uh, interpretation. And so the God gives a gift so that the church can be blessed by that. We'll get into that more often. But yes, it's the same kind of thing that, that um, God wants his people to have confidence that they are receiving the truth of God, the revealed word of God. So, um, um, so The Old Testament, particularly, particularly um, during the exile and, and moving forward after that, there was an anticipation that God would send his Messiah, that this Messiah would come and he would set up a whole new era. He would fix what was broken under the Old Covenant. Obviously, Christ is that one. That's why he comes with all these signs, right? And Jesus explicitly says... If, if I'm doing these, then um, you should believe in me because of these things that I'm doing. Well, then he tells his, his church, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to send the Spirit, and the Spirit is going to abide with you. He's going to be with you, okay? Um, there, at least, you can make an argue that this is enduring, but at least initial... In the church, you have to know that the church is truly indwelt by Christ himself. And that his resurrection into glory is the pouring out of the church. So they're not two separate anomalies that occurs. You got your Messiah, you got your pouring out of the Spirit. No, Christ in his rule as king is distributing the gifts. He's, I think it, it says in one place that... Um, he gives gifts to men, like he's, he's the king, he's conquered the world, and because he's conquered the world, he's able to distribute his gifts to his church for, for their upbuilding and their good. And so this idea that Christ is the, the, the heart, and that he's poured out his spirit in the uh, church, and that there's only one church, so there's not like multiple churches, right? There's just one church, any might be varied gifts, but there's one church, and this is all united to Christ's resurrection and uh, in, in seating in glory. So this is all a theological point that he's making. You could make the argument that, that those, and I'll even make this, that the intent, uh, if you're Pentecostal or charismatic, the intent then was these gifts would go on eternally. The reason why they have not is because the church has decided they don't want them anymore. And that they have, they have, in a sense, told God no to these gifts. And that somehow in the more recent past, um, through the Pentecostal and Charismatic movement beginning late 1800s, early 1900s, God, there's a portion of the church that is now again believing in them, and so now they're, they're now coming into existence again. That's the argument. God wanted them to exist all the time. Man's unbelief has prevented them until the charismatic Pentecostal movement has come into being, and now they're here. My argument is that the gifts of the Spirit were clear. The sign gifts were clearly for the external, uh, in a sense, its own prophecy to the church that the prophecies of Joel are being fulfilled in the church. But the sign gifts are problematic because the sign gifts do things like imply that the word of God is still open. Um, they actually can create division within the church, you know, a lot of confusion, those sorts of things. Where I believe that what is enduring is the fruit of the Spirit. You're supposed to believe that when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The same church that lived in the or same spirit that lived in the church here is the one that lives in you now. Again, last week, we did a brief statement. The four instances 
of people speaking in tongues and prophesying in the book of Acts. Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit to the Samaritans, the outpouring of the Spirit to the uh, Gentiles and Cornelius, and then the people who just had John's baptism. Those are the four instances. Very purposeful. If you look at Acts 1.8, you you wait on me and I will send you the Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's very clear that's what's going on in the book of Acts. And at every point, the the disciples are like wrestling with, well, can we include these Samaritans in the one church? They're half-breeds. Can we include the Gentiles in the one church? They're, you know, anathema. And every time, these sign gifts actually are the thing that convinces the church to, yes, they're part of the church. We're not, that's not what we're dealing with anymore, guys. You're, most of you are Gentiles, and you didn't need a sign gift to tell you that you're part of the one church. This was taught to the church already. Okay. You asked for a sign. And no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah, which is the resurrection. Uh, he's talking about to the unbelieving, um, the, you know, the Pharisees. Um, so, I mean, in some sense, they're, they're demanding signs. Yeah, that's what the Jews love to do, just keep demanding more signs. That's right. Uh, it'd almost be like, what if you today said, I can't believe in Jesus unless I see the resurrected Jesus like Paul did? No, uh, Paul saw it, right? <laughs> yeah, Thomas said, Thomas said it, that's right. But Paul actually, he was like, I saw the resurrected Christ. Does that mean that everybody should see the resurrected Christ? No. There's a foundation that's built on these apostles. All right, let's keep going. To another, the various kinds of tongues. And as uh, we already mentioned, uh, these tongues are, um, in my opinion, uh, tongues that are uh, languages. Languages spoken by men. Um, Again, (laughs) some people don't trust the ending of Mark. But Mark 16, 17 says... And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. Okay. Um, So we're going to get more to tongues in in, uh, uh, when we get to chapter 13 and in chapter 14. Because chapter 13 will say, if you speak in the tongues of men and of angels. We'll talk about that. Uh, The idea that there's a prayer tongue of which you don't even understand what you're saying, is uh, I'm going to just kind of tip my hat to you. According to Old Testament prophets, have someone come to you and speak in a tongue you do not understand would be the sign of a curse upon you. Not a good thing. So we talk about the gift of tongues in a way that this is a blessing to us, not the way someone speaking in an unknown tongue would have been interpreted early on. I'll have to defend that later, but that's it. Um, the interpretation of tongues, we'll get at that in a moment. Uh, later on, and I spoke to you already a little bit about that, so I won't go into that. Um, I do think it's interesting. Paul... <laughs> The exercise of these gifts does not automatically lead us to a humble, unified faith. God gave them for the building up of the church, but it's clear the church that had the most spiritual gifts was rife with division. Just think about that. Um, And I'm telling you, pride does not lead to godliness. Yes, Mark. Nor does it build other people up. Go ahead. Coming out of a Pentecostal background, even the Bible calls that empty. One of the things I've always, always had a problem with is most of the air you see in the Christian church today comes out of the people that believe that the Spirit of God is actually giving tongues and speaking prophetically. Why is he not correcting the air? Mm-hmm. That's a great statement. He's talking about doctrinal air. Now, um, 
I just, almost the exact same point I have in my gifts. It is ironic that individuals could be exercising such amazing gifts while not actually promoting the universal goal of doctrinal purity and unity within the church. Also, in verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The argument here of the Pentecostal church is that God has been inhibited from pouring out his spiritual gifts because of the unbelief of the church. Verse 11 seems to argue against that. Is God dependent when he pours out the Spirit on an individual to give them faith? Is he somehow dependent upon them, or is he sovereign in the distribution of his gifts? So the idea that there could have been 2,000 years, I mean, really 1,500 years, almost the ending of the apostolic age all the way up to 1,900, there could have been that long where the church has basically told God no, and God was inhibited from pouring out his spirit, to me is an anathema uh, when it comes to my view of the sovereignty of God. It'd be almost like saying God couldn't save people. Are you kidding? He's the author of salvation. And so I, I just don't buy the view that the church was able to somehow uh, prevent these gifts from occurring. Yes, although there's a little bit of uh, trickiness to that because some prophecy is like um, immediate, but some of it can be put, pushed down the road a little ways. Uh, so you don't always know. I mean, think of the prophecies of Christ. Some of them took hundreds of years to fulfill, so you wouldn't know, you know if they were fulfilled in that moment or not. But I do think if somebody makes a, an immediate prophecy, in six weeks this is going to happen and it doesn't happen. I mean, that's a clear indication um but not all, not every prophecy is that way yes nathan isn't it wonderful how god uses this unity of this church to teach us how to be unified as a church? that's right i i agree i i and actually it's the study of corinthians that that has helped me to to be more hopefully um gracious even if somebody disagrees with me on this, and they believe that they are experiencing a sign gift, uh, whether it be prophecy or tongues, are usually the two main ones. I tend to—I don't want to just uh, destroy their faith. Remember, we're talking—we're <laughs> not trying to destroy people's faith. I'm just uh, trying to present to you um, that God wants us to be humble in this, and that our. Our primary goal is to build up one another up in their faith, not just to exercise spiritual gifts. <clears throat> All right, let's read uh, 12 through 27. Um, oh, I don't know. Uh, let's let Mary Dunn read for us. We'll not get. We'll, we'll get started in this section. We won't finish this, but go ahead, Mary, read for us. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If a foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, 
There are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor, the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual, individually members of it. Perfect. That's, that's good. Okay. Um, consider your own body today. Look at your fingers, your legs, your arms. Think about the parts of the body that you can't see, uh, your heart, your lungs, your stomach. What if every member of your body had a conscience? Because that's kind of what we're getting at here, right? If we're all members of the body, we each have a conscience, right? So what if your, what if your pinky toe could get jealous of the big toe, right? This is what we're dealing with. Um. What if you're Mozart and you, and you look at your fingers and you say, wow, much more important than the heart? Is that, is that, is that there's something wrong with that, right? Because if your heart's not beating, you can't use the fingers, right? So he's making this, the, the point is some people don't feel like they're a part of the body. Oh, that applies to us. Right? How many people come into the church and say, I don't really have a place. I don't have a part in the body. I'm not this. I'm not that. The Bible says, no, you do have a part. It may not be the same part as the eye, but you have a part. And God intends for the entire body to work together as a, as a whole. That's what he wants. So if you're a member of the church, you're a part of the body. Therefore, you have a place. If you happen to have a, a several different spiritual gifts and you're more uh, maybe a, a vocal portion of the church, like a pastor, don't look like you're more important than somebody else. Right? The person who quietly prays in their, in their closet faithfully, just as much a part of the body of Christ. Just as much as important. I would even argue on a larger scale that even though I disagree with the Pentecostal arm of the church, because I'm not a cessationist, I don't believe in the continuation of the sign gifts, I still see the Pentecostal portion of the church as a part of the body. Right? So I can't be arrogant over them. If Christ is living in them, then they're part of the body. And they have a part. There's something they can teach me. Back and forth, there's this, this sense that we need each other in the body of Christ. This is the point that Paul's making. Sometimes I think we turn this, this whole passage into, oh, I'm going to get this right, and I'm going to have the right view, and then I'm going to be better than the rest of the church. And that's like the opposite point of what Paul's making. You should be humble. You should be recognizing that God is working in all of the church. And the parts that seem to be weaker, what does he say about them? We're almost done. Indispensable. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You are all part of the body of Christ and individually members of it. That's his point. And oh, that we would have a greater humility as we think about these things, as we love each other, as we interact with the rest of the body of Christ. 
I will tell you that part of the reason why I'm here today is the ministry of Bob and Marilyn Taylor, my Sunday school teachers. And they were believers in the continuation of the sign gifts. They spoke in tongues. Bob said he had the, 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 the uh, gift of discernment. You know, they, God used them greatly to minister to my heart for years while I was in college. Teach me the truth of the Word of God. Do I disagree with them on this now? Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that God can use the rest of the body. And I think we just need to think of ourselves as the whole body of Christ. It changes the way we interact with people when we believe this. All right, give one person a comment or a question, and we'll, we'll end for today on this. We've got people waiting on us. All right. Father, thank you for this time, and Lord, humble us. If there is something that I want from the Holy Spirit, it is his humility. Forgive us for our pride and our arrogance and our divisiveness. Lord, we want to love the truth, but in our love of the truth, help us to also love the truth that love is paramount. Help us to interact with those around us in a kind and gentle and humble manner. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.